Hi, this is Brandon. Before we begin, I would like to inform you that this episode is not in its full entirety. Due to technical issues, we were only able to share part of the amazing conversation we had with today's guests. Please stay tuned to future episodes where we will continue this conversation. And as always, enjoy the show. This is a small city. Just north of the big city. Built on brickyards, factories, and small businesses. With a rich history and strong roots. And this is a podcast. That serves to tell our story. Share our experience. And celebrate our community. This. This. Is Beacon. This episode is brought to you by Key Food Marketplace, located at 268 Main Street Beacon. On behalf of us here at This Is Beacon, happy Veterans Day to all Beacon veterans and their families. We thank you for your service. On this special episode, we sit down with local hero, retired U.S. Coast Guard Robert Lanier. Rob joins us to share his background and experience serving our country and the many ways he has and continues to serve here locally in the Beacon community. Without further ado, this is Rob. All right, everyone. Welcome back to This is Beacon. This is Brooke. This is Ruben. This is Brandon. This is Brianna. And today, folks, drum roll, we've got a really good guest who's going to give us a lot of nuggets. I already know it. Um, so, guest, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So, my name is uh, Robert Lanier. Um, oh, hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I know that guy. I know. Hey, <laughs> I'm a uh, I'm a longtime Beacon resident, um, and actually, I, if I can take credit, I was the original move from Brooklyn to Beacon. Oh, uh, uh, oh, oh, oh. Okay. oh. Dex fighting words around here. I don't know. He wants all the smoke today. Yeah, so Robert, all that smoke. Robert, I don't know if you know this, but we have someone in the room who claims he to have first. found the portal yes. in that bodega we back did. in Brooklyn. We did down in Bed-Stuy. When did you? I was Fort Green. Fort Green. Oh, okay. Now when? Okay. Now when were you? When did you come here? I found. I found that that, that portal in '93. I found that portal in 1969. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then before before we even continue this great conversation, just open that door real quick. What am I? Is there a gift there for you? Oh, <laughs> what is it? There's a gift there for what you, right? It? Yeah, there is. What is it? He shut the you door. You opened it. You don't want it? Is this drink champs? Can I say something? Can we? Do you not want it? It's a little early for me. What is it? You got to hit the sparkles for door number one. Behind door number one. But my... But I don't really want to claim it too hard because I was I was born in the city of 69... In Brooklyn in 1969. Um, and it's funny, I've heard your guys' podcast talk about gentrifications. I was born at Brooklyn Jewish Hospital. And um, when I went to take my wife back there to show her the hospital, it was actually condos now. And there's a, Star- oh, and there's wow. a Starbucks right near it. So, um, but I moved here when I was six months old. And I've been in Beacon ever since. So pretty much I was born in Brooklyn, but raised here in Beacon wow. um, all my life. Six months old. Six months, IBM. But, but, but notice that. He said, I've spent a long time in Beacon. You don't see yourself as a Beaconite. Um, no, like I Like when someone says born and raised, like, do you say like, I was just 
kind of raised. raised. Yeah. I was, yeah, I say I was raised here. I mean, I was obviously born in Brooklyn. I can't, you know, but I can't walk around and be like, yo, Brooklyn in the house. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, six months. Yo, son, I was in diapers before anybody was, you know, I'm like, no, I can't do that. Well, well, it's funny that you said that because I'm saying I went to high school with a lot of people. I'm saying, like, I don't know if they didn't have as much as vegan pride as I did. And they used to be like, yeah, no, nah, I was born in Poughkeepsie. And I'm like, yeah, but I always known you. Yeah, everyone in my generation, there wasn't a hospital in Beacon at that point, so we were all born in Poughkeepsie. Like, <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a choice. Yeah, they're like, yeah. like PK, <laughs> you, call, you call an ambulance, you're going to Vassar, <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was, uh, I've been here since I was six months old, um, and then give or take the times that I was in college and in the military, so wow. So, for everyone and, and everyone that has gone to elementary school here locally we asked them what school did you go to i am a proud south avenue school graduate what this is not done by design I'm I'm saying, i didn't know where you went to school so I, was, yeah. I, I, was, I was waiting here i don't know i don't know there's something about that school yeah, that yeah, people yeah. stand we're up. products of south avenue too yeah man something was, in the water yeah unfortunately um the the principal that i had mr warbach just recently what? passed away he I did learn, yeah. yeah you had mr warbach too i was just yeah. gonna ask you like i was yeah. like i don't know how soon mr warbach came in but maybe that's it it's the warbach effect no i had i had warbach um my kindergarten teacher was Ms. don't say miss don't Hughes. say miss allier um no i miss you no i i can't remember who my kindergarten teacher was um first grade teacher was miss saunders miss saunders, saunders. Yeah. second grade was miss pearson third grade was i want to say it was miss lob I can't remember who fourth grade was. Fifth grade was Mrs. Stokes, and sixth grade was Jose Rodriguez. And oh. he, and and he says that because when he was in elementary school, South Avenue went to sixth grade, yeah. so it stopped at fifth grade it's, for us. Oh, okay. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So they they made that change maybe ninety one, ninety two ish, like around that time frame. Because I remember there was sixth grade when I was when I started uh, South Avenue. Yeah. But by the time I finished it, fifth grade, you were done, and sixth grade was in uh, middle school. Yeah, it was it was a great time at South Avenue, and I mean it was I mean it was diverse. The teachers were diverse. It was really uh it was good to see. There were bilingual teachers. We had a we had a music teacher, uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Wiseman, I think, or what? Wiseman. Mr. Wiseman was that still there? Yeah, I, th I thought he was pretty new. I was shocked when you said Miss Saunders to begin with. No, I was like Miss Allier. Like she just seemed like dinosaur. Did he, did he still have that out of tune piano? Well, he also had that clarinet that he made everyone. Oh, yeah. I know, man. He, 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 was, he, he was spreading COVID before it was around. Yeah. Yeah, you try this clarinet. I would have went home and told my mom. Yeah. He, he, yeah. he, he, he used to dump it in his in, in like his coffee mug like, like that. Like it sterilized it. <laughs> <laughs> like thinking about it now, I was like, what? Well, yeah. Damn, man. The whole, the whole class was kissing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, man. wow. Those teachers really were there for forever. Then, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm saying that also explains why I'm saying like from Mr. Vorback to the teachers. As soon as like once we came through, it was like, well, I had your parents. Uh, yeah. 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 You don't get that today. Yeah. Wow. So and then, then you went to Roundabout. Roundabout. And then I was at Roundabout. Um, yeah, I was in seven, eight, nine there, and then uh, I was at the old Beacon High, um, right on Fishkill Avenue and fifty two. Uh, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. So, so when you were there, was it a nice building? <laughs> no, it was it was <laughs> just as bad as it is right now. And <laughs> who knows what future yeah. illnesses I'm at from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God bless the new high school. I mean, it 
it literally looks like when I look at where we went to high school and then I walked in the new high school, I mean, I felt like I stepped in the, no jet, corners. the Jetsons, man. It was like, yo. <laughs> Nowhere know. to hide. Yeah. But um, yeah, that old school was, uh, it was interesting. Although the one thing that I don't like about the new high school um, is they had they have the opportunity and still do and still have the property and the space to it to have a wood shop, a metal shop, um, things of that sort. You know, um, I, well, I'll, I'll go on this tangent and then I'll come back. But, uh, oh, you're fine. you know, uh, when I was in high school, um, you had that opportunity. People either went to college, but there's a lot of people that did woodwork, metal shop, everything like that. And we have to understand that the trade business is really needed out there. We need tradesmen. You know, despite what you think, to build a building, you can't do it with a computer. To build roads, you can't do it with a computer. You can't build bridges without a computer. You need people that know how to do work with their hands. You can't fix a car with your computer. You can't do that. So I would really like to see in the new high school, I'd like to see them have that kind of industrial arts there on site. You know, don't take them away. To Boses, yeah. Don't bring them all the way out to Boses where now you're taking them away from the, from mm-hmm. the school environment and then bringing them back at the end of the day. You've got the property to do it right there. Make that happen because here's the thing. We need those skilled tradesmen. You know, we need those kids that'll do an internship and get paid $30,000 a year as opposed to the one that doesn't want to be in college and now they have a $30,000 loan. Mm. And really, in a a lot of cases, more than that. Like, you know. No, but I can also see if it was here in the community, the community could also tap into that as a resource as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that I think as teachers um, and as educators and as a community that we need to identify those kids that are able to do that. You know, don't look at the kid that may be struggling in one thing and say, oh, well, he's never going to get to college. Well, guess what? He might be a great auto mechanic or yeah. he might be a great plumber or he might be a great, you know, um, you know, steel worker or something yeah. like that. And maybe that's the thing we should look to say, hey, maybe let's not look at a college. Let's look at a union. This kid could be an apprentice in and then work his way up and then get his own job. I know people that have done that. My, my best friend, Marcelo Mastrantuano has done that. I mean, he's one mm-hmm. of the smartest dudes I know and he's got his own business. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and I kind of like saw that at, like the generation above me, like, like my parents' generation, you know, like I got come from a family line of like all carpenters, you know, and then like they all had that skill. They had that trade. And, um, and like you're saying, like, it wasn't big in school when even even when we went to school, uh, we still had like technology, but like I don't even think wood shop was still there, you know, yeah. and then and things of that nature. And, and now it's it's way important because like you see all these job openings and and, and they want somebody with with some of these skills. And it's like where are they acquiring it? Yeah, true. You know? Yeah. No, I'd love to see that. And, you know, that just recognizing the diversity of the workforce in the future. giving them the option to do that and and for right wrong or indifferent at that age if you're going to give them the opportunity and say oh but if you go you got to leave school you know some kids just don't want to leave their friends yeah you know it just becomes a barrier i I relate to that that's why i didn't go to both seasons when i when i knew you had to leave it was like i was in that mindset like nah man every day like i'm I'm not gonna miss what's gonna happen at this school like uh, i mean and just think what's bosey's probably an hour drive yeah so hour drive Oh our, yeah, our I don't class, think you could do like sports back. sometimes. Depending yeah, well, on when they, you get yeah, back, yeah, right? they came back like, late. It was just like it. It takes a it's kid, a sacrifice that they shouldn't have to make that choice. Yeah, it takes a kid three four hours out of the school, the regular you know matriculation that's going on, and probably prevents them from taking some other classes that they could as well too. Yeah, uh, it's just you know 
Yeah. And I think also just kids in general need to be exposed to that more often. Right. Because like, I, I even think now, like, you know, when something breaks in my house, it's like, like, I don't know what this thing is. <laughs> yeah. I need the thing that looks like this. Like how embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm a full whole adult sitting here like with my brother, yeah. like, you know, the thing, the thing, thing, yeah. the thing, thing that does this. Cause I can't get it off. Like imagine if I just had like a core, a class, you know, where I just got exposed to like, these are things, this is how things work, yeah. you know? A, a basic class back then will save you $35 an hour today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like even just like, like they had drivers at a school, but like they never taught anyone to change a tire or like anything. Yeah. For basic real. like that. Like that, here's how you that, drive the car. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't even have driver's ed when I was there. Uh, yeah, no, we definitely. You well, we, you know, we have a swimming you my pool. So. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, somebody taught me. Um, yeah, so, um, but for today, we're gonna we're gonna go through a ton of stuff because you are just like a force of nature. Yeah, and and I'm not even sure how you're gonna answer this next question. Yeah, um, but you know, share with our listeners when you're not working or giving back. What do you like to do for fun? <laughs> like in your like spare in time. Your spare in, my, time. Wow, in my spare time. Um, well, I really, um, and I've, and, and just for my mental health, I've really gotten into meditation. Um, so I, I do meditate at least two to three times a week. Um, I really just try to take care of my, my personal health um, as best I can. And, um, and I really just enjoy time with family and friends. I really do because they, they keep me grounded. Um, but they, you know, I, I just like spending the time with them because I don't want something to happen. And all of a sudden I'm in that position where, oh, I didn't get together with them here. I didn't do that. Um, I'm all about giving people their flowers while they're here and uh, recognizing um, recognizing their achievements, celebrating their achievements with them, um, giving them their love, you know, while they're here. And I think that's very important. I think we all have to do that. Um but I also just like to take the dog for a walk, um, go for a drive, you know, really um, when I'm not doing the, the things that I do, um, it's amazing. Everybody's like, wow, he's always like a bunch of friends and this, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. Actually, I really just like being alone sometimes and, and chilling out. And uh, yeah, and, and I just find that to be um, one of my happier places. Um, you know, I, I love being around my friends, but um, yeah. the alone time is really a, a valuable as well, too. And, and, and you, you, you don't even let up pandemic stop you from doing that because if i remember correctly i know the costellos were doing like these live concerts from like their living room and and i was, I was like you know i'm gonna check that out you know what i'm saying so um shout out to uh, bob and lynn you know we worked with them on, on mm-hmm. a number of projects with i am beacon and then i'm like watching i'm like who's in their window <laughs> like like i know that it's not rob in their window so you don't even let a pandemic stop was, you from, from spending time with your friends. And it was raining. I was standing on a ladder. I had an umbrella. I was no, like, yeah. And so I did the introduction for the Costellos when they did their, uh, their event at their house. Uh, you know, it, it's fun stuff like that. I'm a, I'm a big music fan, too. Um, I, was a, I was a band geek growing up. Uh, I learned how to play the piano. Um, and then that's how I learned how to read music. Um, shout out to uh, uh, the late, great Peppy Exum. Exum. She was my piano teacher. Right there around by the avenue. So I used to go right around from South Avenue School and do piano lessons right after school. Um, that's where I learned um, how to read music. And then when I was in Roundabout, I played, um, I played a oboe and alto sax in the band. So, wow. Yeah. So I, I have a love for jazz. My father played uh, drums and jazz when I was growing up. And I remember going uh, as a, like a kid. I'm talking like three or four years old. 
going to like either Poughkeepsie or up to the city and his band would play and I would just sit in the corner and drink a soda. And then by the end of the night was over, he would take my lifeless body, put it back in the car yeah. and then drive home, <laughs> you know, cause I was up to like 11 o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. Um, but I really just enjoy that time. And, and I love those memories and, uh, you know, and, and still, still hold them dear to myself. Yeah. So do you still play? Unfortunately, I don't. I had a bike accident when I was 13 and um, it knocked my front tooth out whole and I had to get some reconstruction on my nose and stuff like that. Um, and then whenever I played the instrument after that, it would vibrate and give me migraines. So I had to step away oh. from that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But you still get to enjoy it. Throughout oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's a couple of um, some of the local bands. They ask if I could, you know, MC and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you got I, that I, I love music, music so far, yeah. so I have no so I have no problem doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a great town to be in. Absolutely. For someone who oh, loves yeah. music, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't miss it, right? Like, oh, not at all. There's a lot of great musicians that are out here. Um, there's a lot of great gems that are here that like play on such a higher level. And then just to see them play somewhere like, um, you know, Dogwood or the Town Crier or, um, or I was going to say Chill Wine Bar. I don't think it's there anymore. But a few of the other places where they play and just to know that you are in front of greatness that's playing music here um, is just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and so now we're going to get into all the meaty topics. All right, let's go. So we're going to start with this man served our country, which is phenomenal. Born and raised or born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn. (laughs) raised here in Beacon. Yes. Um, and at that time, right. Um, you know, different time in our country, um, what was your thinking behind it? Like, tell us your story as to how you decided, like, what was your path, right? Because you also went to college, you did a lot yes. of stuff. So tell us about how you got there. So um, I was a I was a hippie kid growing up. Uh, Pete Seeger and my father were very good friends. Um, so I used to be that kid during the summer of the time that would uh, be barefoot on the Woody Guthrie sailing up and down the Hudson River. Wow. Um, talking about save the peace, you know, get the PCPs <laughs> out of the water and all that <laughs> stuff like that. Um, I, Pete Seeger taught me how to sail. Um, so I, I really got a lot of exposure to the water as a kid, um, really enjoyed it. I, um, there was one event that we did in Poughkeepsie and, um, the Coast Guard was there. Uh, there was a Coast Guard boat. I got to do a tour of it, everything like that. And, um, and God, I was probably like maybe seven, eight years old. And I remember saying, I was like, I want to do that. Like, I really, I just thought it was cool. Um, the boat looked cool and, um, they, they might've told me what they did back then, but I really didn't. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, as an eight-year-old kid, you're like, just That's- a cool boat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to do that, you know? Um, and then as I progressed um, and I got a little older, uh, I, I always remember that moment. I looked in a little further and, and I looked in what the Coast Guard did, and I, I really enjoyed uh, what they did, and I wanted to be a part of that. Uh, my father, on the other hand, um, said, hey, why don't you go back? Why don't you go to school? And if there's... Um, you know, and then if when you're in school, if you want to join the Coast Guard, you know, go for it. You know, and it's, you know, just, just so you have something to fall back on. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I was okay with that. So I listened to my dad, um, went to school, got done, uh, 93, enlisted, and uh, went to boot camp in Cape May, New Jersey um, in August. <laughs> it was hot. Um, but got in the Coast Guard, did um, a really great time. My first tour was on the Coast Guard Cutter Mellon out of Seattle, Washington. Mm. Um Love shipboard life is absolutely great. I've seen, uh, I've seen Alaska. Uh, I've seen Hawaii. I've been to Vladivostok in the Soviet Union. Um, I've been into Mexico, been through the Panama Canal, been to the Caribbean, uh, got a drug bust in the Caribbean, 101 bales of marijuana. Really? Um, yeah. 
Um, we busted a motor vessel called the Black Cat just off the coast of Columbia with 101 bales of marijuana. 101? 101, yes. Mm. <laughs> very, very specific number. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, sure I mean, there wasn't 110 yeah. and you said 101. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was, yeah, it was 101. <laughs> What's the weight on a bale? Like, what is? Uh, what it's is like it? a hay bale, so it's, it's pretty. Oh, wow. It's pretty big, yeah. Um, and I have a picture of me sitting on it, so I can send that to you if you want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. um, it's super cool. But, so um, fast forward today, would it really be a bust today? Uh, it, it could be. be. A I mean, issue. yeah, it might be smaller <laughs> because there's a lot of. I mean, there's. I hear about Coast Guard busts now, and they're talking like billions of dollars in like you know cocaine and and crystal meth and all that other stuff, and I mean. We at that time it was the only drug bust I had, so for me I was like, "Yo, that's large." (laughs) (laughs) But then you see, and it was the only I'd ever been in, and I only did the law enforcement thing for three years, and then the uh, remainder, uh, my eighteen years, was all in uh, the public affairs field. When you first started going down the pathway of like, I got on a boat and I went here, 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 I'm like looking at my brother because he loves to cruise. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I feel like I feel like in his mind he's like, "Dang, that could have been my free cruise." Well, let me tell you, it was funny. I was uh, I was dating a girl and I came back from patrol and she was like, hey, let's do an Alaskan cruise. And I'm like, I just got back from an Alaskan <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and I was the help. I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was your time on the boat. And then you transitioned into, um, and was that more of your, your, when you transitioned, tell folks what it is, but um, was that more of your background? Because you went to college So, first. yeah. So my, my background and my degree is in journalism uh, with a minor in psychology. Um, but I wanted to, my, my goal when I got in the Coast Guard was to be in the public affairs field. Um, now, when you get in the Coast Guard, uh, uh, indifferent to the other branches, you actually serve as a non-rated petty officer. So you don't have a specialty. So you either go to a small boat station, a unit, or something like that. And you do kind of the grunt work in the beginning. And then you, you do your time. And then eventually you go to a specialized school. And then you become a rated petty officer. I did the same thing. Uh, I did my time in the boat, and then I went to um, the Defense Information School, which is in Fort Meade, Maryland, and that's where all the uh, all of the branches of the military uh, send their journalists, photographers, artists, everything like that. Um, I graduated from there, and I went to uh, my first duty station in New York City. I was actually on Governor's Island uh, for a brief moment while it was open, and then I was in the Lower Battery Building um, from there. Yeah. So um, <coughs> for folks, you know, just going super wide, Public affairs, like what is that? So public affairs is a, a culmination of a lot of things. It uh, includes photography, videography, um, some speech writing, some feature writing. Um, you do newsletters. Um, but the overall goal is you are the spokesperson for the Coast Guard. Um, you're the primary marketing agent, spokesperson, uh, promoter for all things Coast Guard. Yeah. So can, can 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 we take that lingo? Because I think IMB is looking for a public affairs officer yeah. <laughs> with, with, with that definition. So if there's anybody out there, I was texting with my brother. I was like, I was like, wait till you really get to know Rob. You're going to be like, he has been the person we've been looking for. <laughs> now I understand why everyone grabs you as soon as they can, as soon as they see an open on your vacancy. Yeah. So, um, so once you got in there, how did you feel? Like, did you like, you know, I'm just thinking about the conversation with your dad where he was like, you know, go get your education and then take it from there. Is this kind of like where both have kind of met for you? Um, that's when it, it, it did. But I mean, um, with my father, I, I graduated from boot camp, and he was like, okay, I'm in on this. He was yeah. like, yeah. I mean, it really, the, the sense of pride I saw in his face when I graduated from boot camp was really tremendous. And, um, 
and and even now, I mean, he's super excited about me and my time in the Coast Guard. He was there when I retired, um, and just as happy as the first day when I got in. So that was really great. Yeah. Um, but that is where um, the you know where my specialty actually met the the military specialized aspect, and um, it was it was a great time. It really was. There was a lot of uh, unfortunately the first three things I worked when I was in New York were pretty tragic, and um, you're dealing with a lot of media thing. Um, I worked uh, July '96 the um, the TWA Flight 800 crash. I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but um, it was a plane that was going from uh, JFK um, Airport to um, Island, right? yeah to yeah. France, and it crashed over Long Island. Uh, 232 people, uh, passengers and crew, um, perished in that, and that happened um, literally the day before my father's birthday. I was supposed to meet him in Long Island for dinner, and then that happened, wow. and then I was tied up in that for the, probably the next month and a half. Mm. And um, and then the next two incidents I worked after that was a JFK plane crash um, off of Long Island where John F. Kennedy Jr. and his wife and sister-in-law passed. And then the other one was a um, uh, Egypt Air Flight 990, which was up near Maine, and that died. Uh, and that crash all crashed. All, all perished from there, too. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, not only not everything was bad. I mean, we've done a few... Um, <laughs> Uh, I know. It's, yeah, it tell you about another tragedy. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, we we did great things. Like we've um, Fleet Week happens in New York City, and there's a lot of rescues that occur. And uh, at that unit, our coverage area included um, Northern New Jersey, um, all of New York Harbor, and then out um, the South Shore Long Island. And so there are a lot of rescues that really occurred, whether it be fishermen or recreational boaters. And uh, and it was just a great time. It was a great time to be in New York too, because you know I was here. I am on the news talking about a Coast Guard thing, and all of a sudden, friends would call me up and say, I saw you on the news, man. I'm yeah. like, that's what I do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was reading yeah. I was reading your uh, your LinkedIn, and I was like, dang. It was like something like over 300 interviews, like all these interviews, like and on shows that everybody knows. So that's the reason why you're getting that call. Yeah. Because, you know, like um, when you think about it, like when somebody just like pops on the screen and gives like information, you know, I don't ever see somebody pop on the screen. And I'm like, I know that person. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a few of those. I mean, the re- and what's funny is the reality is, and you realize it when you do it, is you do an interview for five minutes and there's maybe like 10 seconds on the news. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's almost like uh, recording too, or like commercials and anything, yeah, oh, yeah. anything TV wise. You're yeah. there for hours and then you get all built up like, yo, I'm going to be on TV. Yep. And it's it like, like <laughs> blinking in. Oh, I missed it. <laughs> here's, here's the spokesperson from the Coast Guard. Yes. Thank you very much. You're like, what? <laughs> That's really what it felt like, to be honest. <laughs> the first time I did an interview, I was like, I was there for like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but the other thing, too, is because you know all the layers. And so the thing for me, and particularly like this time, the zeitgeist of the news today, right? There's so many layers to any one story. Yes. Um. So just curious to get your take, like, you know, now that you see how like headlines have just kind of run rampant, like how does that make you feel when you see like a headline? Are you just constantly like you don't know the story, like negate the the headline? You got to dig deeper. You, you always have to dig deeper um, because a, a headline is supposed to grab you. That's what it's supposed to do. Um, if it does grab you, then what you should do is read further. Unfortunately, we're in a time now where people read a headline and then react immediately without reading the story. And then the other thing is sometimes people read stories and they don't picture the source of where this came from. And you know what? We have this magical thing called the internet where you can do a deeper dive into certain things to find documents that they may, you know, either use or misuse to push their agenda. But I don't think a lot of people do that because I think we're so fixated on 
this is my agenda and, you know, this is where I go and this person speaks what I speak, so I'm going to go forward with that. When deep down inside, there's a lot more information we can read into and actually be an informed citizen. Mm. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, just social algorithms have contributed to that. Well, everyone just has their own echo chamber where it's just spitting back out what you're putting out, so it's not challenging you in any way. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And and it's funny you mention that because, you know, the even the whistleblower that came up for Facebook has talked about how, you know, the algorithms for Facebook actually direct people towards, you know, their type of thinking. Well, I'm yeah. like, but there's another side. And why don't you read that, too, and understand where they're coming from? And mm-hmm. just instead of just saying they're wrong, I'm right, because that's not really how it is. And you actually may realize you're a lot closer um, in ideologies and in connections than people think. Yeah, and I think that that's usually my experience, you know. I, I think people just get caught up into whatever that they want to say or how they want to drive you to believe. But, like, if you were to get people at a table and just be like, what is the issue? You, you start finding, like, you know you guys are actually agreeing on this. Or yeah. Agreeing just the way, yeah. You, the way you may be going about. And um, we don't have to go down this, but, like, that, that's something that I saw, uh, what, in 2020 when we had, like, the counter-protest in Vegan, um, which some people were calling, yeah, the, count, the counter-protest, you know, down at City Hall. And and, and then just for the life of me, I'm just like, man, just because how involved I am, I'm like, I hear the other side, I hear what this side is, and there's so much in common, but because we can't get past things, certain the headline. The headline, yeah. 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 I'm saying it, it, it just draws all this friction and stuff, you know, and that's why um, I, I like to take deeper dives into things now. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because we have more access because of the internet, but, like, because, like, I used to always uh, pride report, reporters or journalists. Like, you know, there's some ethics, right? So, like, you're not going to put out there something false, mm-hmm. but it's like, nah, there's, it, it's, it's a new day. It, 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 some things are just put out there to see what reactions they're going to get out of people and stuff. So um, you have to do your homework. And and you're right. They're not going to put out something that's false, but a lot of times they will find somebody that agrees with their agenda. Yeah. And then they will make that person their subject matter expert. And then the people that follow that news chase, that news channel, that newspaper, whatever, then they say, Oh, well this guy said so and such. And you know, then you can look up that person and figure out, who that person is and are they on the up and up yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like people stop trying to seek out information to build a full picture but instead they're just trying to cherry pick things that just validate what they already think we got we got lazy yeah you know and, and instead of really doing i mean because back in the day i mean when i was growing up you had to go to the microfiche in the you know the library <laughs> find it. i was like what you is know that? yeah you know you, but you've got the internet now and you can just yeah. you can just do a deep dive and find anything but i think people have just become lazy because now everything is just so right in front of you and they're like oh well i believe that guy so I'm gonna listen to what they say mm. i don't want to get all conspiracy theory here but like the whole idea of like journalistic ethics is still like a new idea it's not even like it's maybe 100 years old it started like right. 20 1920 so it's still like this new concept that people are still trying to wrap their minds around, but journalism has always been about sensationalizing things like let's get your attention or some sort of political agenda behind it. You know, like even when this country was being formed, like all the papers that were out were normally funded by someone with money who was trying to push an agenda. So it's, you know, kind of, we're in a different time, but kind of the same place. Yeah. Now the problem is. Yeah, and you worked for the government. <laughs> <laughs> now there's now there's so many more of them, and it's funny because um, 
I remember I had a, uh, a professor at Marist, and he said something that, man, when he said it, I was just like, yo, this dude knows. He said, the reason they call the media a medium is because it's not rare and it's seldom well done. <laughs> oh. Hit the horn on that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Hit the horn. <laughs> <laughs> the reason is called a medium because it's not rare and it's seldom well done. Ooh. Damn. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that professor was gem, gem dropping. dropping. I'm out! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you could drop the mic on that one. He was like, he was like class dismissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now go write a paper on it. Go, yeah. go sit on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny you bring up ethics because you also have had tremendous service here to this community and an ethics committee, eth- ethics board. What was that? The um, so yeah, so when I when I got back in the area, um, the the mayor was um, trying to either revive or start an ethics committee, um, and he asked if I'd be the chair and we'd have other people, and I said sure. So I was the chairman of the ethics committee um, for about two years, I think in total. Um, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, we only really had one case that came to us and. I don't know whether uh, everybody was on the up and up, or if uh, every or if nobody really knew about the um, knew about the ethics committee except the uh, you know the one person that did uh, provide something. And then in the end, it really was just kind of like a, a neighborly issue. This person didn't like that person, and that person was a city council member, so he was like, "Well, I'm going to get him." And it's like, "Okay, dude, yeah, whatever." Yeah. Um, so tell me what the ethics committee was designed for. So basically, um, the city council um, is bound by a set of rules. Um, they, you know, they can't take money. They can't give favors. They can't show favoritism towards a, a business or an organization. Um, they can't be direct. They can't directly profit from contracts that happen in the city, um, uh, building projects, anything like that. And that includes city employees as well too. So, if you're a city employee but you work for a construction company. Um, you know, you can't be involved in negotiations for different uh, development projects that happen here. And if that occurs, it's a violation of ethics. Um, so then it would come to the ethics board and we would make a, a five-person board and we would make a determination on whether um, there were ethical violations. And then from there, it would go to the county and the county would adjudicate that issue because they have the legal standing from everything. Wow. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. it's And it's just a, it, it's a watchdog to make sure that um, city employees and um, and city council members, um, you know, are are legit. Yeah, but it does sound back to Brandon's point on this. Uh, you know, it's fairly new concept and or new reviving concept, right? Yeah. And it's only as good as people know about it, right? I would yeah. say the same thing with journalism, right? Like they're only as good as the people know about it and hold them accountable to it. Absolutely. Right, like. You've got journalists that just write anything. Same thing from like an ethics, whether it's a city employee or city councilman. Um, If people don't know where to go, then it just falls on deaf ears. Yeah. You know, it just becomes that like side chatter conversation that people say, well, you know, that guy did blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so-and-so and -and so-and-so know each other. And, you know, it's like it's like that kind of like whisper in the night. And then you're like, oh, 
that all makes sense now why they're uh, pushing X, Y, or Z, but they don't go, they don't know to go that there's somewhere to go. Yeah. So if, if, if someone claim makes a claim, like the guy who made the claim in your two years, uh, is it anonymous or is it something that's public or is it something that you can, um, so you, you have to submit a name, you know, to the ethics committee. Now, if you say, Hey, can I, can my name be ran anonymous? Um, during the investigation time while we're doing it in the meeting, you can remain, you can make the name remain anonymous. Um, but when you speak to the actual person, I mean, that person has a right to know who their accuser is. Um, so you, well. so you, you, you have, <laughs> yeah. they should have the right to know yeah. who their accuser is. Mm-hmm. That work for you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're going yeah. on a different road, but let me bring this train back. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at you, you looked at me, I was like, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so they, they should have the right to know who their accuser is. And, um, and then we adjudicate it from there. So, yeah. Yeah. And connect it to the county. Yeah. Um, yeah. To well, a I mean, degree. Yes. To yep. a degree. Because we don't have um, the ethics committee can only say, yes, we believe there was a violation. And then the city has a process they have to go through. We don't yep. prosecute or anything like that. But good to know that it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Good to know that it's there. You also served because, you know, this is the man that's serving, <laughs> <laughs> serving the country and being included. Um, you also served and just recently stepped down from the zoning board. Yes. So the the zoning board is a little bit of a um, is a bigger monster to deal with. It's it's separate from the planning board, but it does have something to do with it. Uh, the zoning board basically uh, there are zoning laws here in Beacon, and there is development that occurs. Whether it's development of making a house bigger, um, a business is looking to expand, things of that sort. And there are two types of um, uh, zoning appeals you can put in for. One is a use variance and one is an area variance. So if you're looking to enlarge your house um, or a business is looking to expand to be a little bit larger, but it is within, it is um, not within the zoning code, you can apply for a um, area variance. And in that sense, there are some things where there needs to be like a 10 foot easement and somebody's asking for like a foot easement or you know Mm -hmm. a foot um a foot variance on the easement um and really there are a few variables that we have to um address uh that specifically um and after you address those variables and you discuss with the um, applicant you take public input um and public input will let you know uh, whether you know the people that live in the area agree with it or not uh, when you do put in a variance, you actually um, have to give notification to people within the blocks around you so they know you're putting in for that variance. And the um, and uh, then you come and you have a meeting, and then we make a decision on that, the five-member board. The area variance is actually one of the um, easier variances to um, – uh, well, I don't want to say it's easier to apply for, but the, the different stipulations that it has to meet, it doesn't have to specifically meet all of those in order to get the variance. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it – can meet some and not the others, but you can still get the variance. Now, a use variance is totally different. That's uh, when you say this building used to be, you know, this, and now I want to use it as this, mm-hmm. which is a lot different. And the use variance is uh, much stricter on the ruling, um, much much stricter on the um, on the stipulations that it has to have. And for a use variance, it has to meet all of those stipulations. And if it doesn't meet all of the stipulations, then you don't get the use variance. Mm. And so just to help me with the process, right? Because I, when I saw this, I was like, oh, great. Now I can like really understand, like, you know, you just take it back to like layman, right? How the heck did that building get to be like from 
teeny tiny to like this massive structure, right? Like that, I think everybody can like rem- like relate to, relate. right? Like that kind of thing. And then I remember like, you know, I think one of the buildings was like too far close to like the the sidewalk was like an oh, issue. It, 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 yeah. Came, remember that? And so like, so it just, to me, every time it comes to like, particularly with just like the overdevelopment of Beacon, that, that conversation, right? Yeah. It to me is I'm it's always a black hole. So that's why I was like, oh, perfect. So you've kind of like explained a couple things, right? Like from like the area variance, right? Like you want to like change a little something that's going on, and then the use variance. How are you using this, right? Yes. But from like a process standpoint, is there because the planning board is separate from the zoning board? What does that process overall look like? Or are our developers just going in gangbusters all areas? So then it kind of like it can go both ways. They can go to planning and zoning simultaneously. Um, no, they, they can't go simultaneously. So that what happens is they go to the planning board and when they present their design for a building, if that building um, is not within the zoning laws and they're requesting a variance, then they come to the zoning board. Oh, okay. And so the planning board can or cannot send a recommendation saying this, while we understand this is your decision as the planning board, we believe that the variance should be granted, you know, or we believe the variance should not be granted, but it's just an opinion of theirs. It's not something that we have to do. We still do our due diligence as the zoning board and ask the questions to say, is this something to do? And one of the questions we ask is, is there another way you can build this building or, or get to, you know, success without getting a variance. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's in there too. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of things we ask the, um, the developers what they can do and things of that sort. So, mm-hmm. and so, um, in your time, cause you served on the board for like over five years. Yeah. I believe it was just under, just under six years. Yeah. I mean, you got to see a lot. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the interesting things that, you know, just in, in general that you feel like maybe misconceptions that people have, like, you know, um, that, um, around, like, cause it sounds like there's a lot of people involved when yeah. it comes to a building. Yeah. And, and you also, uh, and process. Touched, yeah. And you touched on the fact, the fact of public opinion. So once public opinion comes in, um, and then people feel like, well, you know, I, I put my opinion there and that, that board doesn't pay attention anyway. Like, like you, do you have that? sitting there as a board person. I know how it is as a volunteer or an organizer, like the thought process that goes in when you're on a committee, you know, but then some, some people just sometimes just don't get their way. Feel like, Oh no, it, everything falls on deaf ears. Like what, what were some of your experiences? Um, um, it, it's tough because like I said, I grew up in the community and I mean, I know a lot of people in the community and um, I know people that have been here for a very long time and I know people that have been here, um, you know, not as long. And so uh, sometimes uh, it's, new people in the community that I'm, I'm aware of, they know me, and it's just the fact that they're looking to expand their house. And then there's other people that are just like, you know, hey, I, you know, some people sit there and say, well, you bought it, you knew what it was, you know, this, that, and the other. And I understand that side of things, but then there's also the other side of, hey, well, we just had a baby, we're looking to try to put another room here, something like that. So um, it's really, you, you take all those things into, uh, into account. Um, you, you try not to make it personal, but I mean, I've had, um, I've had people that, Literally, I know, like, I went to high school with, you know, or I know junior high school with, and they're coming for a variance, and they're like, oh, there's probably going to hook me up. And I'm like, not how it works. <laughs> so, um, you know, this isn't the, this isn't the Rob Lanier zoning board. This is right. the City of Beacon zoning board, and, yeah. I, and I work for the City of Beacon. Um, the other thing that I think people really understand is 
before people get angry about some of the new buildings that are here, I think they should really read the comprehensive plan. Um, because I think what a lot of people miss out on is uh, some of the new buildings that are here that have uh, business or retail on the bottom and then three uh, residential on top. That is exactly what the comprehensive plan for Main Street um, was designed to do. Mm-hmm. So for all those people that say, this building's too big or this is uglier than city being, and I mean, that was part of the plan for Main Street, and that was part of the plan a while ago. And while they were developing the plan, they asked for public input. The problem mm-hmm. is provide public input. You know, anybody can anybody can moan about something, but if you provide input, then you're heard. Um, and they had several public meetings that were held, and, and people and, and several people did speak. But the thing about it is, it's always it always seems to be the same people um, mm-hmm. that speak, and it seems to be the same people that complain and don't speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's super important. And you know, the advice that I give to folks because a lot of a lot of the feedback that I get is like, well, I don't know who or what or where or what. It's like, well, you at least have email and everyone does like your, you know, your ward representative, the mayor, the the city administrator, like just write them. Then at least you, they, you know that you've done your part so that you're heard. Right. Like, um, and to your point, cause you know, I do watch those council meetings and we'll get to that as we move forward here. Um, but yeah, you're I, right. I you do have that. like the same <laughs> heavy hitters that show up and I can see over time as with anything, when it's the same voices over and over again, I can only imagine like, you know, that diminishing effect over time of hearing from just the same few folks. Um, yeah, for some people, but not for me. I mean, because I, I know the diligence that these people put in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not just coming there to complain or say, oh, I don't want Beacon to change. Some of them are very fine with some of the development that's happening here, but they want to see other things. Um, or they, uh, I guess I don't want to say they want development to slow down, but they want development to be in alignment with the development of the infrastructure of Beacon. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, and I'm 100% on board with those people. Um, I, God bless the developers. I think some of the projects are doing there a great job. But I think as a city, we may need to ease up or reduce the amount of apartments and things that we're building and residents that we're welcoming in with open arms and start looking at like the infrastructure side of things. Let's yeah. improve our roads. How about we get a hospital here or at least a primary care thing that's open 24 hours? How about we get some fire departments here? How about a paramedic? Um, you know, we have a possibility of losing the ambulance corps. Maybe yeah, we establish something say, here. I was I mean, about to say, you, you, you're going down, down, down a vision that's building a community. And I was going to say, isn't one of the hot topics is we're about to even lose some of these resources? We, we, yeah, there's a possibility that we can lose some of these resources. And I will tell you, we're not getting enough volunteers for the fire department that we need. We need more of those because the volunteer firefighters that were in Beacon were the backbone of this city. They're the ones mm-hmm. that put out the fire. I remember down in Bank Square, there used to be a lumber yard that was there. And when that fire happened, I mean, everybody who's who in Beacon Fire Department was there fighting that fire. Um, we need those people because if something is, we need volunteers because if something like that happened again, it needs to be an all hands on deck evolution. And we need those people to volunteer for the firefighting department. It's an honorable service. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's tough to volunteer, but you know what? It's, it's rewarding. It really is. And if you don't feel you want to serve on the city council or on a committee or anything like that, volunteer firefighting is definitely a way to serve. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I think the thing that I talk about a lot with these guys and um, as we march forward here at Iron Beacon and, and 
celebrating the volunteer is because that is a core value of Beacon. Absolutely. And as we continue to evolve, right, and right, wrong, or indifferent, right, we continue to evolve, I want to make sure that we do our part to um, celebrate that piece and encourage that piece, right? So that, you know, there's, you know, new folks coming in. Listen, like this is a community that's built on the backs of volunteers. That is a core value of the Beacon community that you do your part, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, and when you join a new community, that's about understanding what that value is. So, you know, I, us at I Am Beacon, we're going to do our part to make sure people are aware of what volunteer opportunities exist and how they can get involved so that we're doing our part to bring them in, right? Because it's not about them having to like figure everything out all at once, right? But how do we really just start to celebrate? And, and you know, for folks that have grown up, here um you know you may have been the recipient of it for many many years and now you're getting to the point where you're in your you know maybe you're establishing your career and that kind of stuff and you're starting to think like oh what am I going to do that's my part let's make sure that we kind of make that skip step and be that connection point for folks so they could say oh yeah that's right I did want to volunteer. Oh yeah. Oh, I could do, I could do firefighting. I could do, yeah. you know, BVAC. I could do all these other things. Let me really start to raise my hand and, and do my part because it's, it's important, right? Like it's, it's one of those things that, that when you talk about infrastructure, that's about our actual safety. To be continued on our part two with Rob. So stay tuned. You but Hey, before you go, we have a quick ask of you, our audience. If you've been enjoying this podcast, here are some ways you can support us. You can subscribe, rate, and review this podcast right now. You can share or tell a friend about this podcast, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And here are some ways to support us. If you would like to sponsor an episode, reach out to imbeacon.info at gmail.com. And if you just want to support our efforts in the community, visit our website, www.imbeacon.org to submit a donation or send us a check at P.O. Box 265, Beacon, New York, 12508. You have been listening to This is Beacon, a dynamic duo high five production in association with I Am Beacon, a nonprofit organization.